This is your host, Heidi Marble. I am beyond excited to be here today with beautiful Elle Clausen, our guest, and Amy Hansen, our co-host. So before I have these beautiful ladies introduce themselves, on Elle's last interview, which was episode 70, we discussed at the interview that we both wear black a lot. And Amy, I don't know if that's true for you too, but we figured out that it was because we wanted to go under the radar. So our commitment was during our next interview, we would wear red. And it's so funny if you could see all of us because we all have black and then we have something red. <laughs> it's like, we still have to have our black. So anyway, we at least we at least honored part of the commitment to maybe the next one will be fully red. So uh, I'd love to introduce Amy. Amy has been fantastic to step in as I navigate some health challenges just to, to be here with me, to keep things going, to add another voice to the podcast. And I'm just so grateful that you're here, Amy. Can you just briefly introduce yourself to everyone? Sure. I'm Amy and I am an adoptee. Um, I've always known I was adopted, grew up in a loving home. And as you know, my journey continued and I reached 50, I came out of the fog and you know, struggle on this journey. And I just want to help have our voices heard. And um, so what you're doing and allowing me to participate, I am honored. Thank you, Amy. And Al, you are so special to me and so dear. And I'm going to get emotional because you and I have been messaging back and forth, sorry, for a long time. And your messages are always so beautifully timed. Uh, there's so much there, and I can't wait to talk to you about all of this. But I would like to remind people that have listened to your episode, and also maybe people that haven't heard it yet, if you could just briefly tell us a little bit about you, and then we'll dive into some questions. Okay. Um, thank you. You're, <laughs> you're going to make me cry before it starts. Our, <laughs> our texts and our talks have been so nice. Um, thank you. Uh, well, I was adopted in 1970 as an infant. I'm Canadian. Um, I always knew I was adopted. Things were, you know, on the surface, on paper, it looked good, but home was pretty tense. And I always thought it was the adopt. No, I thought it was the religion, not the adoption, turns out it was more the adoption enhanced by the religion you know and when I was about 48 did a search and found first family and things just sort of exploded I um I always describe it as instead of layers of an onion coming off it was like my onion chopped in half and didn't quite know what to do with all of it I'm estranged from my adopting family um but I'm in relationship with both sides of my biological family, which has been really nice and complicated and nice. <laughs> you know, it's all, all of it. And we've chatted a lot about talking again. And here we are. Here we are, Elle. And you sent me, you are an incredible artist, first and foremost. You're an athlete, but you are an eloquent writer. Mm. And 
what you wrote to me, it just, it was, it's just so beautiful. So I'm going to share this. When was the last time you felt fully yourself? He asked. When I was about seven, I replied, making dioramas out of shoe boxes, creating worlds that I could fit in, that would fit me, if only I could shrink enough. I wish I could go back to before. Before I knew I didn't have a self. Before my heart became inflamed with the desire for a self. Before I bit into the forbidden for my own good. Before the juice of knowing began to run in painful sweetness down my chin, my hands, my forearms, making me sticky with longing. Unable to help looking back over my shoulder to what might have been. Flirting with dangerous longing, grieving the loss of the place that should have been mine. I expect someday I will likely find myself to be a pillar of salt. What would be left if I began peeling off the layers of all the things I liked for others, agreed to do for others, and gone along with for others? If I unwrapped the bandages and stopped being the invisible woman. You know, sometimes when people say, I wish I was in your head for a minute. I'm like, no, no, you don't. Well, I can definitely relate to to everything that you said. And I think your words really put context around feelings that are sometimes hard to describe. So, Elle, you did it. Well, just to get me to stop crying for a moment, let's talk about the fairy forest, shall we? No. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so good. So it's been a bumpy season and Elle has been messaging me and she sent me these images. She lives in this gorgeous winter wonderland. Uh, and she said, Heidi, I want to do something special for you. Do you want to go to the fairy forest? And I'm thinking, well, hell yes. <laughs> I, I don't know how I'm going to get there. But she sent me these incredible pictures and also a video that the sound of a beautiful little creek running through the snow and I just, I was so like in your world during, during that experience of looking at those pictures. And can you tell me a little bit more about this forest and what it means to you and how you connect with nature as part of your healing journey? Because I know that that, that is a big deal for you. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I have a real half and half, like I, <laughs> I love the city. And being out here where we are, I miss the city. I miss bustle. I miss all of that. And yet, I do love it here. It's not like I don't want to be here. So there's always this push-pull for me. But we live, <clears throat> oh, our town is small. And it's about 7,000 people, including all of the surrounding acreages and everything like that. And I am quite literally... <laughs> like a two minute walk from a trailhead that leads into nowhere. It just, it's trails. Um, and there are several places in town that you can access these trails from, but you could, if you just keep walking, you would just be nowhere. Um, but underneath one of the ridges where one of the trailheads is, um, it's right below the elementary school. And I don't know who started it when it was after my kids were done at that elementary school, they started going down with these little craft projects and they found this little spot where there's a bit of a, a glade. Well, there, it's just more free of um, 
you know, scrubby brush and things like that. And so the kids started making a fairy forest. There's a sign that says the Lois Creek Fairy Forest, and they put up little houses and strings of beads and, and acorns hanging on strings and things like that. And I just find it so, I love the creativity of the kids. I love the imagination. I just think it's such a precious little spot. And it's always fun to walk by and see what new thing they've hung up. Like sometimes there'll be a new set of uh, wind chimes or something, you know, it's just really lovely. And so usually on a longer walk, I hit that spot coming home because it's only about mm, 10 minutes from home. And I go in there and see what they've been doing and if there's anything new and Sometimes there's just a bunch of little footprints. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> little I, I just loved it. And I can imagine, you know, if you're having a hard day to be able to go out there and be caught up in something so magical made by beautiful, innocent kids. It, it was just really special. Thank you again for sharing that with me, Elle. Welcome. And as I was, as I was scouring through our messages, one thing that popped out big time is how you redefined fog, mm. fear, mm-hmm. obligation, and guilt. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little more about that? Well, I didn't make that up. I can't remember who, who I was listening to who brought that up. And it just reminded me that it's an acronym. You know, I I think there are a lot of times people in our community of um adopted people don't like some people don't like the term fog because they don't Mm -hmm. like the idea of having lived sort of in a misty reality unaware all their lives you know until coming out of the fog or whatever and that makes sense to me it doesn't feel good to feel like you've been walking around like a zombie you know um I understand not liking it. And yet when I was reminded that it's that acronym for fear, obligation, and guilt, and when we step out of that, or when we start to try to step out of that, that's a lot of work. It's why we're so tired all the time. It's why, um, oh, should I speak for everybody? It's a, I have not yet heard one interview of one adopted person or read one memoir where they weren't exhausted. So maybe somebody isn't tired. I haven't met them yet or read them yet. So, um, and just the fear of being ourselves, the fear of asking questions, because we're supposed to be grateful. That's the obligation. We were saved from what terrible situations we may have come from. And again, you know, the more stories I listen to, the more of us it seems come from very average backgrounds it wasn't we weren't being saved from horrible horrible things some some were for sure but many of us were simply unexpected to single people who didn't have support right Mm -hmm. especially who I can what I can speak to is the baby scoop era so you have patriarchy you have eugenics you have um all of those adverse things 
staring young women in the face. They're not allowed to be a mother. Somebody else deserves to be a mother more than they do because they got themselves pregnant, right? So there's the obligation. And then the guilt of feeling like I'm not grateful or I want to look or the guilt of being who I am instead of being what was expected or what was hoped for as a blank slate. And I just realized too, like, I'm not sure I came out of the fog. That's also part of the thing. So much as I could see the fog I was in. Well, yeah, I think Amy, I'm sure you, we can all relate to, to this. It is such a difficult journey mm-hmm. when you see reality so clearly. And mm-hmm. we were talking before we were recording, you, like, I think you said, Haley Radke or one of her guests said, you can't unsee something you've seen. Right. And you just, you can't turn back and there's all that to cope with. It's really, really difficult. And I know yeah. Amy, you've been recently out of the fog. I've, I've only been out for maybe three years too. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very, Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's exhausting. And, you know, it, it's just so much in your head, right? You're thinking one way, and how is that thought going to affect someone else? And do you have to say something in a different way because you might hurt them or you might make them upset? You might, it's, it's a constant struggle with inside that people don't see. Um, something recently I just thought about too, is I was looking at old pictures, like, you know, when my kids were younger and I saw this smile on my face and I thought, if I could go back, like that smile to me of being a mom of young kids was so innocent because I hadn't gone through this yet. And I just thought, will I get that smile back? You know, because we're still just going through this constantly Mm -hmm. and it is exhausting. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's just heartbreaking. Will I get that smile back? I know. I mean, I'm happy. We're all, I feel like we make it work, right? But before you came out of the fog and before you realized it, like if you look Mm -hmm. back and you see that, I I know I was a different person. Like just. Yeah. No question. No question. Mm -hmm. I can definitely relate to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking about, I was also, I wrote down mothering because my son is, he's getting ready to go off to medical school. Thank God he turned out in spite of us. And <laughs> his beautiful bride, they're going to have a new baby and they're, they're leaving and they live in an apartment on our property. And it feels like I'm being abandoned all over again. Oh, wow. You know, and I wonder because you, you have raised up children. How do you think adoption has affected motherhood? I'd be interested to hear from both of you on this one, because I think we should talk about that. Sometimes, at least for me, I get really one-minded that this is just affecting me, but it's not. It's affected my parenting and my marriage and my friendships and every mm-hmm. single thing. So I just love to explore mothering a little bit and, and how, how that's worked out for, for you ladies. Sure. Oh. Amy? <laughs> yes, go well. Okay. I don't think the fairy forest is going to fix this one, but let's, let's try. Damn. Damn. Well, um, you know, it's funny you brought that up because I was just thinking about that today. 
um, I think partly because I was, you know, in getting ready for our conversation, flipping through my notebooks, looking at things I'd written, looking back at what I had <clears throat> written to you. Um, and some of the notes I made, even just listening to other episodes of other shows, yours and, and others like it. <clears throat> and um, sometimes I've run into um, other guests, uh, women, let's say, who are moms who talked about hovering and being helicoptery and all that sort of stuff. And I always, okay, my, my throat got a little thick there for a second because I feel like I was more aloof. Mm. I feel like, I mean, I was available. I'm trying to think of how to explain it, but I tend to be in the moment. And so even with the kids having moved out, say, I don't contact them as much. I think about them constantly, but it's like, unless it's in front of my face, I, I, I tend to just float along in my own little interior world as an individual who's alone like I just and I feel bad I feel I wonder sometimes if they wanted more hovering if they would like I don't know I would have to ask them but I'm kind of scared to now (laughs) (laughs) I hear 26 and the twins are 23 and I I wonder if they, I wonder how they would describe me. And I'm not sure I want to know. Like you all could know, you could interview them and you all could know. <laughs> and I'll just live in the fairy forest. That's you know? perfect, Elle. I, I think that's, no, it's, it's real. For me, I was so afraid for my son to feel abandoned that that was where my hovering was coming from. Hmm. It was fear-based. And and understand the protection, you know, that thing that you can't really describe. Mm -hmm. It's really, really interesting. Amy, what about your experience of mothering? I would say when they were younger, I um, hovered, you know, more so as they grew up and, you know, leaving the house, I feel like I connect more with Elle on this is that when my son left, I was very proud of him to leave. Yes. I wanted, you know, you want them to come home, but I never wanted to put pressure on them to come home for certain things. I, you know, they were always invited. The house is always welcoming, but I never wanted to be the one that said, you have to come home and see me. Cause I felt like I got that from my adopted parents, the pressure, yes. the guilt of having to go to holidays and see certain people and, And I never wanted to put that pressure on my kids. So in a way, I feel like I let them go and build their life and check in, but maybe not as regularly as, you know, I should. But again, I think about them often, all the time. I mean, we'll, you know, send pictures or chats and texts, but it's not Mm -hmm. that phone call that, you know, and as like a mom, I love when they call me, but I don't want to. I don't want to step into their space and make them feel like I'm hovering, I guess. Yeah. No, yeah. That's really good to know. Thank you both for sharing that because I think about it all the time, especially because our kids are all adults now. So what do you do at this point is the question. Uh, we can't go back. 
And, and I know, I, I'm sure you guys feel the same way that sometimes just having a parent acknowledge something is really just such a huge step. And speaking of that, L, I've been thinking about the estrangement with your adoptive family that you spoke about in your mm -hmm. first episode mm -hmm. and how painful and I don't want to say freeing. I just, I'm lacking terminology. Sure. Are you comfortable talking about what is kind of the latest for you in that realm and how are you sure. feeling and are you still estranged or is there a connection? Are you more settled with it? Mm. <clears throat> I am settled with it. You know, when we first talked and I, I think I referenced another interview I had heard where someone was estranged and had said, no, I don't miss them. And I had listened to that and thought, holy, yeah. somebody said that out loud, A and B, I feel like that. And it's okay, right? To let something go, <clears throat> especially if it's unhealthy. Um I didn't re-listen to, I should have listened to our interview again so I knew what I'd actually said. So I don't know if I said this, but I suffered from chronic pain and yeah. things like that. And it was gone. Like it, it yeah. was gone within the week of it, having those boundaries. That's amazing to me because it lives mm -hmm. so tightly in your body that when you made that decision, there was that release. And yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that... I don't regret. I think it's too bad that it has to be like this. And yet it does. So there's that. Um, our kids have always known that they are welcome to pursue a relationship with their grandma and grandpa as however they would like, just in spite of my needing my own distance. And they know why, because that was a grandma and grandpa they grew up with. And so that's fine. Like, no hard feelings like you do you everybody do you and they have all sort of done that two of them well our oldest is estranged from them as well because here goes back to the religious part they're so very legalistic mm -hmm. and hard you know, I had to admit a little while ago talking to my psychiatrist <laughs> I had to actually admit out loud that in there, in the realm where I grew up, it's a little culty. It's very high control. And, you know, there's a lot of religious trauma that I have as well to add to this rat's nest. Um, our oldest son is gay and they can't deal. So he's had to have boundaries. Um <clears throat> Our daughter just feels like she can't relate. I don't want to tell their stories. It's their stories, but she doesn't really keep in much contact because she just doesn't feel, it's not safe. She doesn't feel mm -hmm. comfortable. Her twin has moved out there and in order to look for a place to live, and they said he could live there and he has been, and finding housing out there is has become absolutely brutal like absolutely brutal and um so he's been with them much longer and he's starting to get the brunt of their dysfunction let's put it that way mm -hmm. and um and so this christmas there was an attempt on their part to 
contact me. And just like with a Christmas present, you know, thinking, well, your son is here. So now it's all good. You know, I guess, I, I don't know. Um, I opened up the front door, saw the parcel left there and I just shut the door. Um, <clears throat> and within half an hour, my back was starting to hurt also because he's still there he's in it and sometimes he'll call me and tell me of their conversations and it breaks my heart that he's having to uh parry that you know duck and weave there was one conversation we had together where he said mom how often did they do this with you you know I was like oh when I was 12 the conversation started and the preaching whatever and two three times a week every week till I moved out and he just went I can't like that is just shocking he can't wait to get out there's just nowhere to go at the moment oh well that has to be so hard for you as a mom so, so as far as being estranged for me I feel good. I feel fine. I feel like I said, it's unfortunate, but watching my kids, I don't know, I guess in my head, I don't know what Amy thinks about this, but when we become grandparents, maybe we will become grandparents. I just want to bake cookies and say, Oh, I'm sorry, honey. That's so hard here. Come let's watch a movie. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like be a grandma. You don't have to teach and preach and correct and make sure they overhear your prayer time saying you know we pray for such and such because they've been led away by satan like that that was actually something he walked in on and and so that part's been hard because i feel like i'm not separated from them anymore like i had been like i need to be i i'm just waiting for him to be out so Mm. that's where that is that's so painful, Ellen. It, it takes me back to what we read that you wrote. Mm. Not being able to be fully who you are. You know, I one thing that we did not get to talk about last time that I think would be so lovely to discuss. We talked a little bit about your first mom, but mm. we never talked <clears throat> about what it was like to meet her or We never really dove into that whole situation. So can you tell us more about your first family and what has that done for your soul to be connected Mm -hmm. to them? Because I know you said you have a relationship with some. Yeah, you know, (laughs) so the first person I met was my younger sister. So I have on my paternal side, an older brother. On my maternal side, I have one younger sister. Of course, she has a different father. And so she's been a little disappointed when people, when she'll show people like, I have a big sister, look, look, and she'll show pictures and they're like, I don't really see the uh, likeness. I'm thinking, yeah, but they can't see us together and they can't hear our voices together. And they can't, because she was the first one I met and she came here and my husband said, God, there's two of you. (laughs) (laughs) in the the, uh, dry sarcastic sense of humor and um, she came armed with stories and family photos and um, it's a very Russian background long story short they were of a wealthy set than the uh, 
the uh, revolution started. So they flew, well, they fled to China where a lot of white Russians went, which I didn't know. Um, and then of course, revolution started there and they had to leave. So my mother was actually born in Shanghai during the revolution. Wow. Um, and then they moved to Brazil and there was social unrest in South America, of course. And my grandfather just wanted to be able to hide in a nice middle-class place and no one would take them because he was Russian and Chinese, like, except that they weren't Chinese. Well, not that that even matters. They're just clearly trying to get out, but this is in the height of the cold war and the red scare. And so are they spies, blah, blah. So he got into Canada because he actually bumped into the Canadian ambassador unbeknownst to him who asked him some questions and got him into the country under the guise of being French Canadian because the last name was French and he could speak French and all this sort of stuff. So that's how they ended up here, which I didn't know. Like that was such a wild story, but my sister came with all sorts of stories to tell and, and family photos and, and sort of the fanciness of, um, our shared grandmother who, you know, I was making stew one day, chopping up root vegetables. And she looked at, she's like, mm, that's not Irina approved. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> root, root vegetables are for peasants. <laughs> and he was like, oh my God, you make so much sense now. <laughs> I guess I'm a little bit of a princess. I don't know. Um, so meeting my mom for the first time then, I flew out there and she met me at the airport and she was waiting, you know, how you come down the hall and the doors open and there's a bunch of people. She's like, I knew I saw you and I thought that one's mine. Because oh. she could recognize my face. Um, oh. And I... And also my, um, what would you call it? My walk, my carriage or whatever. I got to meet my uncle, her younger brother, who was living with her at the time. And he said too, he looked and he, the last name was Marie. And he said, such a Marie, like so Marie. Although what he was really referring to was their mother, whose last name was Kazimirov, you know, whatever. Um, it was just so, in many ways, easy to be with them. The first um, time I met my mom and she was driving and she, you know, picked me up from the airport and we were driving and because we we're both nervous and we talked on the phone and everything, but she just about took the wrong turn. And okay, you can bleep this out of your podcast if you need to, but she, she just about took the wrong turn and she was like, oh, fuckity fuck, fuck. And I burst out laughing because that was not allowed in the family I grew up in. Like okay. you don't use foul language of any sort or anything. And just the fact that that just blurted out from her in frustration at that moment, I just thought, oh, it just felt casual and it mm. felt relaxed. Even in the nervousness, there was like, okay, I don't have to watch my language. I don't have to 
be careful about those things that I've always had to be careful about. Now, there were things I was careful about. I didn't want to push her too hard on information. I didn't want to make her feel guilty for having felt she needed to relinquish me. I didn't want her to feel bad about who I grew up with, you know, um, because she, that was out of her control. She was told that I would be placed with an appropriate family. And she gave a lot of information that a lot of people our age don't have. Like there was things about art and architecture and photography and ballet and all these sorts of things. And yet I was just handed over to this very conservative church family who would never put me in dance or never, you know, all of those different things. She had no control. And I, so I was careful about some of the things because I didn't want her to feel bad. I didn't want to bear her off, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of us relate to that L and, and I think, you know, back to what you were saying too, in one of our text messages, and this just stuck out to me is that it always felt like everyone else was more important than you, like your feelings, Mm -hmm. even in these situations. Yeah. It's like that part of us that, wants to make sure everybody else is okay as we're starving for information and feeling nervous to, to get what it's just, it's just difficult emotionally to cope with these things, even if they're going well. It is because you, you are holding a bit back because you don't want, it's like, it's like they're, it's like we're looking at them like a little wild animal, right? And you're trying to get them to come close. But if you if you move too fast, they're going to bolt, right? right? Maybe that door mm-hmm. slams shut on us. And then where are we? We didn't even get to see the ancestral photos maybe that we would have liked to have seen. Um, and so I think we are often really careful about that. Now, fast forward, I'd seen her a couple of times. She did come here to visit. We do get along very well. She loves to laugh. She, when I get her laughing, she often will tell me her face hurts. Oh. Um, so that's fun. At one point during um, the pandemic, I did get to go there and she'd, she had a fall and uh, had hurt herself. So she needed to lie down a lot. So I would go and lie down in bed with her and we would just chat. And at one point she reached over and she started stroking my hair. And she said, we haven't done this since you were four days old. Oh, well. That was pretty special. Just what a powerful thing. Like, I just think about that. How extraordinary. I just want that for everyone, like to be able to lay next to their mother and have, have that healing. That's just, I'm so happy that you both got to experience. It's such a simple thing, but it's not. (laughs) And I, yeah. And I get it because so many people don't even get an answer, right? Because mom can't go there. She can't open up that wound that she was told to shut down and get over, you know, get over it. You'll have other babies, you know. Um, I'm well aware that that does not happen for nearly anyone or everyone. I mean, and um, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. I might've cried a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I'll if you didn't cry, be concerned because that was (laughs) a big one. Well, as we're 
we're rounding the corner on our interview. One of the things that I love so much about you is how open you are and how in touch you are with your feelings and how brave you are. You inspire mm -hmm. me. And you are not shy about talking about the grief. And I think it'd be really good for us to, to talk about that because I think collectively as a group of adopted people and community and, and the people that are connected to us, be they, you know, adopted parents or our first families, there's just enough grief to go around. But for the, the adopted person's heart, I don't know, we're all about the same age. So for me, it's, it's almost becoming more intense as I age, I think I'm processing through a lot, yeah. but there's no, all of my parents are gone. And, and so there's nowhere to, to really put it all. And I just wonder how maybe both of you, where are you at in your grieving process and what, what space do you give for it? Is it creativity? Is it crying? Like I looked at some of your beautiful images, Ellen, they're very thought provoking, you mm. know? For me, I'm like that wild animal, except I'm the one in the headlights. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I mean. Feelings are so much that you just, like, you can't even move. I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think in some ways it gets more intense. It, it attaches itself to that idea of once you've seen it, you can't unsee it again, right? And so that pebble you throw in and all the rings that keep circling out and out and out. And you just realize how much there is to grieve. And I think sometimes though, part of that grieving is that even the people that I'm close to, I want to say this right now, not Tony. So he's super, like, really supportive. And I have another really close friend who is also very supportive. But even some of the closest friends are kind of of the, like, you know, when are you going to get over it sort of thing. And not necessarily in those words, but we all know that. We've all heard that, right? Like, you had a nice family. I'm like, well, actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> on paper it was great and many adoptees have very understanding adopting parents and mine weren't so that's a fact um and so sometimes the grieving I feel is hard because people don't even want to let you like how do I get over it if you won't see it for what it is when I say it out loud oh, and, well, so, there. <clears throat> yep. and so even things like um I've been reading the book, The Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate. Oh, and, so good. Oh, man. And it's talking. It's bigger, though. <laughs> right? Like, hallelujah. Um, but they, he and his son wrote it together, but he talks about bonding and what happens to infants and all this sort of stuff. And people are so into that until it's an adopted person. Like they'll grieve that their child had to be in an incubator for a while or, and they're wondering about the attachment and worried about the child. But the moment you say, well, yeah, you know, I'm just sitting there smiling, listening, going, <laughs> you know, yeah, I get it. But the moment that comes up, oh no, but it doesn't count. And so, so often that grieving to me is attached to this, like, but not for you. <laughs> 
you know, you should be grateful. You weren't aborted, but not for you. Um, And I just think you want me to get over it, but you don't want me to actually name it. Well, it's not going to happen then. And I'm not sure you can get over it. That's where it is. I write a lot. I doodle a lot. I, I have this tendency to, um, (laughs) I'm an all or nothing person. And so if I get frustrated with something, I start chucking, you know, and uh, I had set up one of the rooms that the kids had moved out of into an art studio. And in about September, I did a painting. Well, I mean, I've done a few paintings. I did one big painting and I don't know what it was about it. It just made me feel nauseous. A few people saw it and really liked it. And I couldn't stand that it was there. So I painted over it and I took down the studio and I only started sketching again, like three days ago. I haven't painted or sketched since September. Oh, that's, that's, wow. That's intense. I I just couldn't, I couldn't. And so I took it down and made it back into a bedroom because it made me feel physically ill to create yeah, I get that. I get that because it's almost like you're looking at it so viscerally and it's outside mm. of your Yeah. And that that's scary and overwhelming. I hear yeah. you cuz like you look at something you've written or something you and and it's a manifestation of the pain inside. I mean that was that's my impression when you when you told me yeah, what you did. Wow, Elle, I'm so glad that you're back at it, though, because your imagery and your writing move me deeply. Amy, what about your grieving process? Where are you on the spectrum of (laughs) all of this? Yeah, I think I'm just all over the place. I'm all over Mm -hmm. the place. You know, I, I, I think as I'm trying to do more self care, put myself first. But of course, that's a hard thing to do, right? Because we feel like we don't deserve to do that. Um, You know, my kids are older, but, you know, I'm always at their beck and call, even if it's, you know, takes me away from something I was planning to do. Um, I am trying to journal and um, I do some drawing, um, but, you know, I haven't, it it does, it comes in waves, you know, sometimes it's very, um, like you could spend a day and it's great. And other times it's like, it's just not going to happen today. Um, but yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get past our grief. Um, especially like you said, Al, if it can't be acknowledged by people who are close to you, um, like I do too, I have some good family and friends that are right beside me and can understand and can empathize. But then I do have close friends and family that just don't get it and say, well, when are you going to be over it? When are you going to get better? Oh, you still see a therapist? When are you going to get fixed? It's like, this is a, a journey of a lifetime, right? I've, I've just realized this and I was living with it for 48 years before I realized what kind of grief and um, sadness it had put in my body. So mm-hmm. it's going to take a while. Well, I appreciate both of you sharing that. And as we begin to end the interview, one of the things that I loved, Al, about our last interview is when I asked you to give hope <clears throat> to the audience. And you had something prepared that was so beautiful, and I wish I had a better memory. 
But I was looking up alternative words for hope before this interview. And I wonder what you think of the word belief. And the reason that resonated with me is because I want to believe that things can get better. I want to believe that this suffering, that we can find some kind of peace. And for those of us that are older, the, you know, pedal to the metal, like more years behind me than in front of me at this point. And I don't know about you, but that is when I go on my prayer walk or my calling out to the universe walk every morning, I'm just like, I just want to know what it feels like to feel peace. Mm. You know, I, I just, I don't know about you, but I'm desperate for it. So how do you, how do you both feel about, about the word belief? Because I use hope a lot. I sling it around a lot because, you know, it sounds nice. It's postcard, but it's too fluffy. (laughs) (laughs) It does, but it, it is a hard word too, to just, I mean, you do have to be optimistic, right? You have to be very positive in a way to believe or have the belief that right. things will change. Exactly. So when I'm trying to offer encouragement to the people who desperately need it, I guess hope has been the thing I've leaned on. Mm-hmm. But but I think, you know, maybe maybe it's something different. Maybe it's just to keep going, to keep trying, to keep telling our stories, to find connection where we can, to be heard. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why I started watching some younger adoptee TikTok creators mm-hmm. because I'm so proud of them, even in the moments where lots of people are like, you sound so angry. And I'm like, yeah, they do. And <laughs> your point you know, righteous anger, and especially coming from the Christian background that I came from, the evangelical background, I think of them and how they're reacting as we're all adopted people and we're speaking out and now they're speaking out. It's like generational trauma is being dealt with. And if we can get to the younger and younger where they can actually speak their truth before they're 50, you know, yeah. wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that um, be- and, and they are, and people, they take a lot of flack, but I have this mental image of, even though I don't consider myself a, like a Christian per se anymore, but I have this mental image of Jesus flipping tables in the synagogue, you know, mm-hmm. And the status quo doesn't like it. And he's flipping tables because, yeah, I'm mad. Yeah. And and that's okay. You know, in well, we just mentioned the myth of normal. And Gabor Mate talks about how anger is an okay emotion. Stuffing it down doesn't help. Now, okay, there's that line of always living as an angry person. But I don't think that's what this is. This is just things that shouldn't have happened the way they did. And then, you know, silencing people for other people's comfort, et cetera. And I think maybe the belief or the hope or whatever word you want to use 
I just think, feel what you're feeling. It is okay. Mm. It's okay. And people don't have to force you into, well, you should forgive or you should do this. You know what? You should step away (laughs) from telling me what to do. How about that? Because, Because these are things that we need to process. And I think that we can only see putting one foot in front of the other or carrying on all of those different things, feeling hope. We can only do that if we've allowed ourselves to feel the whole gamut of all of the emotions and not not choosing. Well, like Amy said, it's hard to spend time in self-care because we don't count really, right? We don't count. Mm-hmm. Um, we were first relinquished and that, you know, even though we as adults know the circumstances under which that happened, it doesn't change the fact that an infant just thinks it's been abandoned, right? Right. Um, like my my first mom told me, you were never unwanted, only unexpected. But an infant just knows mom's gone, right? Like we have our thinking brains now, our ability to reason now. And mm-hmm. so we need to be able to process all of those things. And I think that's the only way we can get to some other side, a healthier side, a, a more positive side. Because I, I will fully admit, I'm not a naturally optimistic person. I'm probably more naturally nihilistic. <laughs> and um, I can't think that. <laughs> Ding, me too. Yep. Um, and so just cut yourself some slack and feel what you need to feel. I love that. I think that that is a beautiful way to wrap this up. And this conversation, I loved every second of it. And I appreciate you both wearing red and black. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done, ladies. Nicely done. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to imagine us in L's beautiful fairy forest wearing red dresses Mm. with all of our feelings being felt. Wouldn't that be a magical, magical world? You guys should come visit. We should come visit. We would have so much fun. The best time ever. Is there anything uh, Elle that we didn't talk about or any last thoughts that you have? And same goes for you, Amy, anything more before we wrap it up? Go ahead. I, I, I was going to say, I don't, I just appreciate your honesty. And um, I, I know things that you said today will help so many people um, going through, whether it's estrangement with their adopted family or just, you know, dealing with all that. Those, those are subjects that are really hard to talk about and um, to have someone who's so honest and feeling um, is so important. So I appreciate that so much. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. I'm glad you were here. It was so nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Well, you ladies are the best. Everyone say, stay strong out there. One step at a time, right? One step That's at a time. It.